Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please note, this podcast is not suitable for children. An advocate's role is to make sure that a young person is aware of their rights and what they're entitled to, to basically make sure that their voice is heard, that their wishes and feelings are represented. So it's all about representing the young person and empowering them as much as possible. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. Just for Kids Law is a UK charity that helps children and young people navigate injustice to find their way through all aspects of the law that affects them. Problems with school exclusion, issues with immigration status, their rights to support and protection, homelessness, and contact with the police and the criminal law. As well as providing support for individual children and young people, the charity also campaigns for legal rights to ensure their voices are heard, respected, and valued. Edwina talks to youth advocate Max Davis. We hear first-hand experience from Myowa, a young Londoner who received vital support from Just for Kids Law with his immigration status. We hear from founder and legal director Ika Stevenson. And we also hear from CEO Enver Solomon. Max, thank you so much for coming on the pod. You work here at Just for Kids Law. What's your role and what do you do here? I'm a youth advocate, so that basically means that I have a caseload of young people right across London. One of my clients is as far as Gravesend, from Gravesend to South Croydon, just wherever the young people are, that's where I will go. Um, an advocate's role is to make sure that a young person is aware of their rights and what they're entitled to, to basically make sure that their voice is heard, that their wishes, wishes and feelings are represented. So it's all about representing the young person and empowering them as much as possible. Yeah, when you say young person, what sort of age bracket, um, you know, do you work in? Wow, well, it's up to 25, but the youngest ones, um, obviously, some of what we do is we work with young people that has been excluded from school, for example. My youngest one that I'm about to take on is 14. Right. So I would say most of mine at the moment are in the 17, 18, up to 21 kind of age group. Okay. So tell me about the issues in London and kind of what a day or week might look like for you. I'm sure no two days are the same, but what are the areas that you um, particularly work in and the locations? Well, the majority of my cases at the moment, and this is before I work for Just for Kid Law, Kids, Kids Law as well, it's just a general situation with young people, I'm assuming pretty much throughout Britain now, given the climate of austerity that we're in. I would say most issues around housing, 
around adequate housing, around homelessness. There's also a lot of young people who are in care and making sure that they're receiving what they're entitled to or getting them into care in the first place. So a lot of it, I would say, at the moment, and I don't anticipate this improving, is around housing, and that's an issue that is really close to my heart because a decent roof over your head should be a right, not a privilege just for people that can afford it. And if you expect young people to lay the foundations for their future when their housing isn't even stable, you're having a laugh. Nobody can. Like homelessness and instable, unstable housing, sofa surfing, it has an impact on people's mental health as well as their general well-being. So it's a massive concern at the moment. Yeah, so, so try and paint a picture for our listeners of um, what exactly might have happened to a young person and what you might do okay I can talk about one of my young people a young man he was 17 when he came to us um basically he was not he was from outside of London from Buckinghamshire from Aylesbury um and he'd been involved in gangs um as a as, as a te- as an early teenager at uh, first it was all great he could make money buy nice new clothes and then he realised that it was just not a good lifestyle, ethically, basically, it was wrong. Mm. So he tried to escape from um, that life. Um, he was beaten up by the gang. His family was threatened. So he went to social services in that area and they said, oh, come back when you're 18. So what is he supposed to do? He was living in an abandoned warehouse for a bit. Um, came to London, was living on the street, a bit sleeping in a church. He went to the council, if he's still 17, so he was still a child, explained his circumstances. They were like, we're not responsible for you, go back to go back to Aylesbury. So he got in touch with JFKL. We managed to get some legal advice for him and then Southwark Council agreed to house him. So now this young man, he stopped smoking weed. This is only in the last like couple of months. He's one of he's a person that I took on yeah. quite fresh into my role here. Um, he stopped smoking weed. He's doing um, a traineeship in construction. He's got a safe roof over his head and he's rebuilding his life. But that boy, when I met him, he was raggedy. He was really, it would have been really, he was really susceptible to being sucked into gangs again. Generally, young people come to you when they're in a crisis. Yeah. So it's always the last port of call. So, for example, I had another young man from Albania. He was in leaving care services, but they had told him that because he'd failed his human rights assessment, they were going to, like, literally discharge him from their service. He was going to lose his placement, and he could then, like, go back to Albania, which meant he would be kind of completely destitute. So that was another one we had to fight last minute, and fortunately he's got a reprieve. He's still been housed, but it's always... The, the kind of pressure of the job is oftentimes the young people do come to you and literally they've got they've got no other... They've got nowhere else to turn. Yeah. So things are kind of last minute a lot. So it's kind of a bit mental sometimes. Yeah. And then I sort of presume, I hear that there's, you know, so much pressure on housing in London. So from the council's point of view, just to get the sort of two sides, I mean, obviously they've got a responsibility and the law is the law. And if you're meant to house young people. I have to explain to you, when you're growing up in London as a young person and you watch the whole estate being demolished and private homes going up and you can't afford to live anywhere, and you feel like the future is not for you. They wonder about young people turning to crime and all, the, all being kind of sucked into that. You imagine being young, seeing your communities being devastated, knowing that you're not going to get on the housing ladder, that you're never going to be able to afford a property, that all that's ahead of you is like 
part-time work in retail, which let's face it, is going to be automated soon. And you see your mum, for example, working part-time and having to go to food bank and rely on benefits. A lot of young people feel they're locked out of their future. And quite genuinely, I would feel the same if I was in their shoes. Mm. And what incentive is it to contribute to a society that you feel shut out of? I mean, it's really hard for them right now. The cuts have been, like, devastating. In thinking real terms, it's like a billion pounds been chopped out of youth services. 73% that cut out of that budget mm. over the last few years. And you can't expect things Like, to... where is the support? You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing, there's, there's no support networks for them. And sometimes the only support networks they might be able to find is some older kids on road. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's really easy to understand how they get kind of sucked along into that lifestyle sometimes because the options just aren't viable. A lot of those young people that have been through that, then again, they're going to have PTSD, they're going to have mental health issues. That's not being supported either. And then you're putting them into prison, which is going to heap onto those issues. So you're literally looking at an implosion of like utter crap, excuse me, that these young people is is living through, do you know what I mean? And being expected to deal with and expect to be mature and responsible adults. I would like to see someone much older and maturer than them deal with that. And these is children in a lot of cases. It's just like so apparently clear to me, but so... You know, and that's what's great about working with this organisation because at least um, Just For Kids Law see that. Yeah. And the young person is at the centre of the work they do. So mainly for you, is it housing? With me, I'm dealing with immigration cases, so they might be not an undocumented. And you're seeing undocumented. a lot more of that now? I mean, I know you've only been in your role three I can't months, say. But I've been, yeah. yeah I, I think, the, I don't know. It's always been, it's, it's kind of been, because I've, obviously I've worked with these young people in other organisations mm. too, so I wouldn't say it's got any more. But I can't see the situation improving, given that Brexit's looming over us. And it seems to be, how can I say, hardening certain attitudes in the population about immigration and what have you. So hostile I, environments. And yeah, hostile environments, really exactly. Really it is, like it is very, <laughs> It's very hostile. <laughs> yeah. And if you're an undocumented child, and I have some young people that have been here since they were 11 or whatever, but their families never realized or were able to get their documentation sorted they are not eligible for any housing any benefits anything because they literally have no papers yeah and when you say undocumented you're literally like there's no passport there's no no... passport there's no birth certificate there's no nothing and they've gone to school here they speak english as their first language they've got friends here but they're literally locked out of the system right so they could have been born here and they could be 12 right they could but they just don't have any So these is really hard because you can't, there's no services really for them. And it's a long old battle trying to get them their documentation. Mm. So, you know, and you do worry, like it would be really terrible for if you were a young person, you'd lived here, I don't know, let's say six years, all your friends is here, you've been to school here. And all of a sudden you're getting sent back to a country you dimly remember and you don't even speak the language yeah, anymore. Yeah, and as far as the services are concerned, you don't really exist. Because I guess if you don't no, you exist don't. on paper in this society... Exactly that, you you're really invisible. Exist. And yet these are some amazing young people with a, a hell of a lot to contribute. So yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. My name is Mayawa and I'm 18 years old. I wouldn't wish this, this lifestyle that I live upon anybody because it's stressful. Many times I'd be on the phones with my friends at night time, we talk on the phone for hours, you go to sleep and they have nothing to worry about. 
and I'd have things to worry about over and over again. I don't, I don't feel like I belong in the society that they live in. And after doing it all, after I applied for it, the biggest mountain of it all is now the answer. You know, whether I get a yes or a no. It's like climbing Mount Everest. Let me explain what's going on here. To get leave to remain, you need to complete a 70-page form online. And the fees that law firms charge means that there's kids out there who can't even dream about doing it. Having no legal status leaves them very vulnerable. Just for kids' law made a big difference. Every time I found out there was something I needed to do, it was another mountain to climb. From every single day, you know, I met CJ, I met I met EG, Charlotte, I met Joe, Zafar, Chrisan, so many people, and it's like they didn't stop checking up on me because I needed that kind of support. I'm constantly amazed at the resilience and the strength of um, my young people because they're just like. They keep smiling, you know, they keep joking, you have a bit of banter with them, they've seen things. I mean, I've done, I've seen some things in my time, but what these young people have been through is something else altogether. Some young people they've never been listened to. Yeah. That's a big part of our role, to, like, properly listen and value what the young person has to say. It's been an advocate, it's really, really key that yeah. we do that, and, like, that they are heard and respected, because sometimes they might never have had that. And what makes you so passionate about it? I mean, you're clearly, like, fizzing with passion, and it's hard not to feel you know, passionate about it because it's just think so cause, wrong. Like, but... When I was their age, I didn't like myself very much. I was homeless um, and due to that sort of those kind of circumstances, I don't want to go into it too deep, but I really messed. I did a lot of stupid things and put myself in a lot of stupid situations, which, you know, I wouldn't have done <laughs> if, I'd, if I'd had more self-care, more self a feeling of self-worth. And I think it, you know, I lived with that a long time, feeling like that and and just not making good choices and f letting life happen to me, feeling like life, was a like life happened to me rather than me happening to life. So I think it's really important to me to like empower young people at that age to, to believe in their own strength and to believe in their own potential and to believe in the possibility of owning their own life, do you know what I mean? Not life owning them. So it's really, I think that's why it matters so much to me. That's how I, I assume it is because... I can really remember what it's like, yeah, that feeling. Been there and done that. And I suppose that actually is something that makes you turning up, um, talking to young people more powerful than someone like me who doesn't understand. I haven't walked in their shoes and, and I'm sure for them it's really helpful. You know, someone can level with them immediately and be like, I've been there, I know what you're going through. I don't, I don't know whether, I don't know whether you need to have necessarily been through things to to, to, to be a good advocate. I think more it's about empathy and and, and, and listening and just, because everyone can imagine what it's like, right? You don't have to have been through something to imagine how bad it must be. So I think it's more about that openness of heart. So when you work with an organisation that actually doesn't just have its values, it's a pretty little saying on a website, but actually everyone wears it on the on their sleeve. I think that makes a big difference as well because you know that you've got an organisation behind you that's committed to the same things. They employ people that give a, give a shit, basically. So, that and that's helps. why. Let's so be I don't think that it, helps in every organisation. With me, yeah, <laughs> I've been through certain things that probably helps my work, but I don't, you know, you don't need to have been through that to do this kind of work. You just need to actually like care and believe in young people. You really need to value young people because they are the future, whether you like it or not. And they need to have a foundation on which to build. Housing shouldn't be a privilege. So what led you to your job here at Just For Kids Hill in the first place? Well, about three years ago or something, I had a young man um, that was involved in a criminal justice 
system um, and I'd called to get some legal support for him. And I was most surprised when I found myself speaking to Ica, that was supposedly the founder of the organisation. I normally you don't <laughs> you don't get to speak to people that is like the founders of organisations. You get to speak to the minions. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he was this lady that had um, set the organisation up, and here she was supporting my young people, which was kind of really quite unusual and also nice because they did a great job with him. They got him off the sentence that he was looking at and they were really excellent and support they gave him was amazing. So I was then aware, I thought, wow, this organisation is really different. Um, and then like a few, I was still working in Southwark. I like working in Southwark. I like walking to work and I like working in my community. But um, the funding ran out for those sort of jobs. So then I saw a job available here and I thought, yeah, I'm going to come for the interview. Um, and then funnily enough, my young person that I hadn't seen for... Uh, like a couple of years, the one that I'd originally referred had then been referred back to Ica, Ica through a different route. Oh, wow. And now I've got him back on my casehood again. So it's a weird oh, kind of synchronicity. You're but meant I do, to be together, I think. I think so. <laughs> I don't know whether it's a blessing or a curse, but oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're still, we're, we're back together again. But yeah, I just want to say that it's like just seeing how she, how involved she is in the organisation. She was a bit of a hero to me initially because of how she supported my young person and how available and accessible she was. So to come and work in an organisation and find out she's still like that three, three, four years later, later or whatever was pretty amazing. So I got a hand, I got, I got a lot of respect for her, basically a lot. My name's Ika Stevenson. I am co-founder of Just for Kids Law. Um, I practice as a criminal solicitor. So what does Just for Kids Law actually do? Why were you set up, or why did you set it up? Essentially, we are here to um, provide a voice to um, young people. Um, we act um, with and for young people to ensure that their rights are protected. What we do is quite broad. Um, initially, we, Shaunine and I set up Just for Kids Law because we were really affected by uh, the way that young people were being treated in the youth justice system. We saw that they had multiple needs. Most of them had been excluded from school, had underlying mental health or learning difficulties were looked after, um, were being like looked after by social services. Um, and essentially we, just, we felt that the role of a lawyer was really important in that process um, and was not being used essentially to its potential. We thought it could be used much more effectively to engage young people in what was happening to them and give them more of an understanding of their rights. And we wanted to be a meaningful voice for young people. We felt, well, actually, what young people need is they need a lawyer, but they also need some kind of advocate. They need somebody who can speak on their behalf in all of the other areas that are affecting their lives. So when we had children who were looked after, they felt unable to communicate with their social worker, for example. They might be constantly being arrested because of incidents that were escalating in children's homes because of their inability to communicate and constantly feeling frustrated. So we initially, we tried as lawyers to start having those conversations with other people, but immediately we were, we felt that there was a barrier because people, as soon as you say you're a lawyer, then they want to also have a lawyer right. <laughs> to have the conversation. Yeah. And so it essentially, um, it just wasn't very effective and yeah. was quite adversarial. So we felt um, that we needed to have advocates so that were young, essentially coming from a youth work background, who could actually engage with a young person 
but also have a level of understanding of their rights, entitlements, and and and, and the law essentially to advocate on their behalf. Um, so we wanted to start taking a holistic approach to representing children because um, I found, particularly in my work at the youth offending team, that children, you know, when you say to a child, I can only work within this remit, that is really difficult for them um, because they don't really understand. It's like, well, how can you care about me and this particular issue if you don't actually care what's happening at, as soon as I walk out this door? So we wanted to take a holistic approach to representing children. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My name's Ember Solomon. I'm the chief executive of the charity Just For Kids Law. We're a London-based charity that work with young people aged mainly between 10 and 25 supporting them to get their legal rights and entitlements respected and promoted. And essentially what we do is we hold those with power to account. It might be a police officer, it might be a school teacher, it might be a housing worker, it might be a social worker, who all have statutory powers um, that essentially are in law to make a difference to the lives of young people, but they don't always implement them in the way that they should be implemented. So they end up overlooking the needs uh, and the entitlements that should be given to young persons. So a young person's excluded from school. They're entitled to a fair hearing. They're entitled to having assessments, see if they need additional support for learning difficulties. That always isn't put in place. A young person who's at risk of homelessness because they've fallen out with mum and dad they should have their needs assessed and be entitled to priority housing. That doesn't always happen because the system's overstretched, there's not enough housing in the capital. We step in with a team of lawyers and what we call youth advocates who are youth workers who are there to represent the young person's wishes and feelings and advocate on their behalf to the individual that ultimately has power over them. So my first sort of question really is, is it not a shame that it has to be a charitable organisation that is making sure that people are doing the job they should be doing. 
Well, that's a very good question because I, I recently met with a director of uh, adult and children's services in a London authority that I won't name. And I, and I said to that director, if you were getting your job right and you were meeting all the needs of young people who come to you, surely we wouldn't need to exist. You know, we exist because you're not doing what the law says you should be doing because the system's failing these young yeah, people. Yeah. And, and he said, well, that is true, but sadly, the fact is that the way public services are currently constructed and the massive pressures on them due to limited resources, due to the massive demand, means that they more often than not don't get it right for young people. So they need an independent agency like Just For Kids Law who will come in there representing that young person, banging the table, speaking truth to power, advancing the wishes and feelings of the young people to ensure that a public agency, whether it be the police, a school, a college, a housing provider, a social services department, do what they should be doing to meet the needs of that young person. So the sad reality is the system's not designed to get it right for young people who have multiple needs. Yeah, and it's almost like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because in a way, you know, I'm thinking with my philanthropist's hat on, as a philanthropist or whether you've got a trust or foundation, you're sort of, by funding sort of charities, are you perpetuating a dysfunctional system? Um, but at the same time, it's really important that you have your independence and that the child feels um, more comfortable about the fact they're being represented by people who aren't the system because they've been so damaged by the system. So it's kind of a difficult balance there, isn't it? It is. And, and if we had a, a more perfect world, the state would be paying for every young person who's faced great adversity in their lives and had difficult experiences to have someone dedicated with them, a trusted adult, a youth advocate, to represent their wishes and feelings so that they do get what they're entitled to. But we don't have that national provision. It's not likely to happen anytime soon. And in the absence of that, Just For Kids Law needs to be there to ensure that the law is upheld and young people's rights are respected and promoted. And I think there's going to be a need for our service going on into the future indefinitely mm because of the nature of the current provision of, of public services you know, going wrong for so many young people. And you reach children nationally? So or how does it, how the, does it the vast majority of our casework is in London, yeah. um, but we do some work nationally, so we do it in two ways. We have an advice line to support professionals working across the criminal justice system who can get in touch if they need some advice about what they should be doing if a young person is charged by the police. And that might be a lawyer, it might be someone working in a youth offending team, it might be a parent. Um, so we provide them with advice and guidance. And then we've also just launched an initiative with uh, a law firm where we start taking cases in Manchester and Birmingham of children who've been permanently excluded from school and they want to challenge that exclusion and they need legal advice and representation because there's no legal aid or legal support for this kind of work. Mm. And their lawyers, through their pro bono hours, are taking on cases that we supervise in Manchester and Birmingham of children that have been permanently excluded from school and want to appeal that exclusion so that they get back into mainstream education. So that is our national work. We work with around about a 1,000 young people a year um, two thirds of that is in-depth casework with our youth advocates or, or lawyers and about a third, a bit more than a third, is one-off advice. Sometimes people will get in touch with us via phone or email and say, look, we need, we need this one-off bit of help. 
Right. Can you give it to us? And that's relatively straightforward. It's the in-depth casework where we build a trusted relationship with the young person and start to help them move their life from what we call crisis to independence and then on to stability. And what's going on in the back of my mind is, you know, I thought every child mattered and you've got the, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and all these sort of different things that I could rattle off. So every child doesn't matter? Is it particularly in the criminal world? I mean, I have my own views on this, of course, because this relates to so much of my work as well. Why is it so different in the criminal court compared to the family court? Do these children actually fundamentally not matter? Is that what we're saying in the eyes of the state? I mean, the problem is we have separate legal frameworks for the family court and for welfare for children and an entirely different legal framework if a child happens to pop up in the criminal justice system. It's 30 years of the Children Act, which was a very significant piece of legislation, which transformed the legal provision in terms of welfare and social care support for children. But it has no purchase whatsoever if a child ends up being in trouble with the police or ending up in court or ending up in the police station. There, the legal framework is not governed by children being a child that should matter. It's governed by a framework which sees them as an offender first and a child or a victim or a child in need or a troubled child second. And really, that system needs to be turned on its head and there needs to be greater alignment. Because surely that child has been failed by the adults around them and the system. Absolutely. You know, the vast majority (laughs) of children that end up in the criminal justice system are there not because they're bad or inherently evil in any way, shape or form, but because things have gone wrong in their lives. And the problem is the criminal justice system sees them as an offender, as I say, and not as a child who has needs that need to be addressed. If the police did something very simple, and you know this was suggested to me once by someone very senior in the Met, if every time they stopped a child, if the first thing they asked them was, you know, are you a child who is vulnerable, who is facing some issues, if, if that was their first form or line of inquiry, and not whether you've committed the crime, you would have a fundamental different outcome. And Mm -hmm. we can learn a lot from Scotland where they have a hearing system which is based on investigating, inquiring into whether the child's welfare needs are being met if they get in trouble with the police, rather than seeking to criminalise them and bring down the full weight of the law on them as an offender. And who steps in to do that work in Scotland? Because I suppose what's um, going on in my mind is the fact that like that's timely, and therefore costly to do those investigations, which is probably why a lot of it doesn't happen um, in our country. Is it the police's job to do that investigation or would it be social services or? It goes to what's called a a children's hearing panel where you have social workers hearing and trained professionals hearing about the case and inquiring into it in collaboration with the police and then making a decision about what is best for that individual child. So it's a different structure. They're not put in front of a criminal court that's adversarial where they're seeking to determine whether or not they're guilty of an offence. They're inquiring into why that child got in trouble with the police and what should be done about it. We've been doing a bit of work with a friend and colleague of mine, Dr Shona Minson, who did her PhD research into the impact of maternal imprisonment on the child. And the same thing happens there. You have a child separated in the criminal court from their mother or father going to prison, and there is absolutely no state care for that child. There's no money, there's no framework, there's no structure. 
So you've got children who maybe committed a crime and got caught up in the justice system, but then you've got the innocent victims, the children who haven't done anything at all, but their parents gone to prison and they're not looked after either. That's right. And, you know, we have cases of, of children whose they may have a sibling who's got involved in drug dealing. The police raid that house and they're very young children in there and they're entirely ignored but they've gone through a highly traumatic process. If a parent is taken away and put into custody, that is highly traumatic for a child. And what fails is there is then no social service response, welfare response, to look after the child who's had to face the consequences of a deeply traumatic uh, experience. Mm. And, and that's where the system is not joining up and connecting. Yeah. You know, we're doing it better now in domestic violence cases. There's a recognition by government that if uh, a child is a witness of a domestic violence case, that then action should be taken. And schools are now trying to collect information around children who might be witnesses to domestic violence and then sharing that information with social services. But we're not doing that in relation to criminal offences or if the parent is involved or seen as an offender because then the system becomes much less forgiving and much more punitive. Mm. And that punitiveness overlooks the needs of innocent children who get caught up as a consequence of a parent or a sibling getting in the criminal justice system. I was just thinking back to the police. And so, you know, to try and put the police point of view across, maybe. So if they were having to put someone's door through and there's a sort of drugs gang um, and they don't know how many children are in the house, but they need to get these people and it's their moment and it's a dawn raid. Is it their job to try and work out how many children are there? I mean, how do you... It's so complicated, isn't it? So from the police point of view, sort of what should happen? Well, something very simple could happen. If the police are raiding a house where they suspect that a child might be there, they could go with a social worker. And they could take a less aggressive approach. You know, instead of knocking down the door, sending in armed officers, they could take a more sensitive, thoughtful approach that was less combative. Um, and they could always have a, have a social worker alongside them. You know, under the Mental Health Act, if um, the police are called out to deal with someone who potentially needs to be sectioned, a social worker has to be present. Right. You know, the child not being recognised or the needs of children not being recognised because we're driven by a desire to criminalise first and then overlook the wider context of the situation. It's a safeguarding issue if they're if they are knocking the door down of a house of someone who's been involved in drugs and potentially children are there, that is a child protection issue because yeah. those children are at risk of serious harm. So why you wouldn't do that with social workers, beggars belief, really. And so whose job, I'm always interested in, yes, we've got the problem, but whose job is it to change it? Ultimately, government has the power to change structures and systems and processes. Um, and to conduct reviews and to look at alternative ways of dealing with children who get in trouble with the criminal justice system yeah. or dealing with a child who's excluded from school. You know, we know the link between school exclusion and getting involved deeper in the criminal justice system is, is well established. It's yeah. a key trigger point. So it would be sort of education minister as well as, um, is there a minister for children? 
We have a Secretary of State for Education and we have a Junior Minister for Children that deals with child protection, but there is no Cabinet position that sits round the Cabinet table in number 10 ah. with responsibility for children like there is in many other European countries. And that is part of the problem, you know, that, that's, that's a, a big gap in the system. And because there's no one then looking across the system in its entirety and seeing how do we address the vulnerability of children that might pop up in the criminal justice system here or the mental health system there or the care system there and thinking about how we can create a more effective response that ultimately saves government substantial amounts of resources yeah, down the, down there's the line. Yeah, something in it for them. <laughs> there is, there is something in it for them. Um, but there's no votes in this, so ultimately you know, politicians know that the NHS is the number one issue, vulnerable children not really isn't that easier to sort of get across i mean prisons is difficult right you know when you're sort of trying to say the rights of prisoners or sort of conditions for prisoners it's absolutely i mean that's really difficult but when it comes to children surely it's sort of easy for people to recognize that if you have a difficult child then there's usually something going on that isn't their fault they're not being looked after so i think a child who is an infant or a baby is seen as very deserving. You know, we had the famous scandal many years ago of Baby P, the baby in Haringey, who died in tragic circumstances because the, their parents neglected them, their family neglected them, social services neglected them, and there was a national uproar about it. If we have an older child, they're seen as troublesome, not troubled, and society and the state and public services sees them as less deserving, unfortunately. And, and I think that's something within the culture in our country. You know, you talk to European visitors in this country and they go to sweet shops and they see the sign that says no more than one or two children at a time and they're horrified. You know, why is it that we don't want children around in our communities that we do that to them? Mm. I think we, we have a different culture. We, we don't see children as public goods in this society for whom our communities should be doing the right thing. We see them very much as private goods where it's in the family domain to look after and care for them. Mm. And there's an amazing statistic that fewer than 1% of children in this country are in care, yet they make up around 40 to 45% of all children in prison. That's right, that's Which right. If you're in a care system, you're far more likely to end up in, the, in prison, you're far more likely to end up street homeless your outcomes are, are very poor. And the care system can be transformative for some children where yeah, they're in a long-term permanent placement and there are examples of that and, and, and lots of amazing work being done. But more often than not, and particularly when you see a, an increase which is happening at the moment of a rise in the number of older children, teenagers coming into the care system, the system doesn't work very well for them. They have multiple placements they're not given consistent support. And they're the ones that, that really do lose out and struggle. So again, coming back to the government response, you would sort of think that they would be trying to do everything they could to prevent children going into care. So therefore you would have thought that, you know, they would have looked upstream and sort of gone, right, if we're robust here, we're gonna stop that channel of children going into child yeah. prisons. Yeah, I mean, lo logically you would have much more investment in programs um, that would be a, about supporting families as soon as they face some kind of adversity um, and 
some kind of family support in place. It's really interesting because if you go back to the Children Act, which was brought in 30 years ago, which is seen as you know one of the greatest pieces of legislation ever introduced in the post-war period, and it, it is seen around the world as a fantastic piece of legislation, right. it, it very clearly sets out that a child in a family that has fallen into difficulty should get state support. The problem is it was never properly funded, so that prevention well, element, <laughs> which is very clearly embedded in the legislation, was never implemented. And as a consequence, the system doesn't work in the way that it was intended to and the way that those politicians, and it was a Conservative government at the time that, that brought it in, envisaged that it, that it should work. Mm. And so where is it working well? You know, sort of when you're on the ground and just for kids' law and your lawyer's out, so, you yeah. know, sort of trying to... Um, sort of help these kids you know are there particular areas where it works well and you sort of see some positive action happening yeah so it works well in in different places despite the, the problems in the system so where we start working with a school and and challenging their decision making about exclusion in relation to cases that, that come to us over time we do see that school change their behavior and be less exclusionary and more inclusionary in how they work with children that present with behavioural problems. There are some local authorities that do amazing work with care leavers. You know, local authorities, uh, Trafford Local Authority has a phenomenal reputation for supporting care leavers, and that's because the chief executive of the council, the leader of the council that is a politician, you know, uh, an elected councillor, decided to make it a top priority. The legislative framework in this country for children in care and care leavers is very good. You know, it, 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 it puts in place pathway plans for a child when they leave the care system, support into education, training and support to go to university and so forth. The, the problem is that it isn't implemented mm, because so councils... we're good at it on paper. We're good at it on paper in mm. some areas. The criminal justice system, you do some see some areas of the country really working hard to divert children from the criminal justice system. Haringey have been working with us because they want to become the beacon local authority in London and across the country that does not criminalise children. And they're doing fantastic work in Haringey. Unfortunately, in Islington, the police are less minded to adopt that approach and the relationship with the courts in Islington is nowhere near as good. Mm. So you have variability um, and it's about leadership and decision makers in different parts of the country deciding to prioritise the issue. So if people want to know more about what you're up to, if people want to volunteer, get involved, donate, where can you direct them? Towards? So they can go to our website, www.justforkidslaw.org. Um, on there we've got information about how you can get in touch with us, how you can donate. We've recently started uh, doing a project with young people where their voices uh, and their stories uh, are told through a podcast that they try and represent, and, and that's available for, for people to listen to. And we're always looking for people to support our work through donations if, if that's the way they want to get involved, if they've got other means of, of how they want to work with us, they want to refer young people with us, they can, they can get in touch via the website, or you know they can email me direct if they want to. On um, Ember Solomon at justforkidslaw.org. Great, and I suppose anything else they can they can reach through the through, through the, the website. website. Yeah, are you it's on Instagram? 
We've just launched a project on Instagram, which is all about young people's voices okay. who've experienced exclusion, which they're leading, which is our foray into Instagram because we want it to be a we wanted it to be a young person led initiative. Yeah. Um, and obviously we're on Twitter and Facebook and yeah. so forth. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm always really struck when when you find out that you think something is a certain way. And then you speak to people like Ember and you learn about the work of these different charities. And actually, you sort of think, why is it that trusts, foundations and philanthropists are having to keep these charities going? You know, why do they exist? I was in I was in a taxi this morning and I was talking about just for kids law to the taxi driver. And he turned around, and he went, really, is a charity doing that work? Shouldn't the government be doing that work? And I think the answer is, yes, it probably should be. Um, but it's not, and and it's really sad. But I hope if there's anyone in a position of power and influence listening to this podcast today that they take the issues that have been raised in it exceptionally seriously and let's hope that change will come in the new year. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe Also rate, review and best of all share this episode. Justice is co-produced for One Small Thing by the London Podcast Company and Pencil Agency. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.